They were live. All right. What's up, everybody? I'm here with Kara Britannic. Yes. Yes. Oh man, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And in my in my head, I think it's like breakneck tick, break a neck tick. Some people say Britannic. Britannic. Well, your maiden name is much easier to pronounce. Yes. Sax. Yes. That's easy. Yes. Um, Until you're in that crowded bar trying to yell at the bartender <laughs> what your last name is, and it gets awkward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess I guess that happens. That's that's probably the only reason why you change your name, just to avoid that awkward <laughs> yes. situation. Yeah. No, that's cool. So um, we were just talking about coffee. How do you how do you make your coffee? Do you drink coffee every day? Uh, most days. Yeah. What what are the what are the reasons why you wouldn't drink coffee? Is it you just get lazy or um, you don't want to make it or yeah, if I'm lazy or too busy, like if I have to go somewhere and didn't get up early enough. Yeah. So what's your what's your go to? Type of coffee? Beans? Yeah, let's go let's start there. Shoot. Ooh. Um, I really like compass coffee. Their beans are pretty good. Okay. For local. Or we've gotten some from Zeke's recently. Yeah. Pretty good. They're Guatemalan, I like. Okay. You think of Peregrine. Um, I don't... I haven't had much of their coffee. That's all I eat. That's all I drink. <laughs> yeah, I'm drinking this uh, this Panamanian coffee David got me. That's oh. what we're drinking right here. Mm-hmm. It would be better if I brewed it better, but I had messed <laughs> up the brew process, so it's a little uh, it's a little, little bitter, I think. But the it's coffee... Coffee's really good. Yeah. And then... Probably this weekend we'll make some, well, probably tomorrow I'll make cold brew so it's ready for the weekend. Yeah, so walk me through your cold brew process. You've told it to me before, but I've always forgotten, but now I got you on the record. (laughs) (laughs) So we have this pitcher. It's by some Japanese brand that I can't remember. Um, But it's a pitcher that has a filter that sits inside it. So you fill the little filter thing up with beans that are coarsely ground. Okay, so like more coarse than French press? Yes. Okay. Um, like we'll pulse it in the grinder like three or four times, like three or four pulses. Like are, are so pretty is it, coarse. Is it more chunk? Yeah. Than, okay. Yep. More so chunk. Bean chunks. Yes. <laughs> um, and then you pour cold water through the filter till the water is filled up in the pitcher and then you just let it steep. It's essentially like making tea, but with coffee beans. Got it. Um, so we, and there's no, there's no like very slow drip to it. You just, nope. it, you steep it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so like some places, I think like Qualia coffee I've seen, they'll just get like big tubs and put the beans in there, fill it with water and let it go. But then you have to strain it out, uh, um, right. which we did before we had the pitcher, but now we have the pitcher with the filter. Right. So you could just do coarse beans in a, in a tub of water mm-hmm. and then uh filter the coarse grinds out yep huh how long do you how long do you soak we let it go about 36 hours all right so if i make it like thursday afternoon it's good for saturday morning yeah and then what's the water to bean ratio like if you get a bag of beans do you um, usually just do like a whole bag at a time or so we can only do like a pitcher at a time oh, so it's right, however many right. beans fit in the filter but i can't remember before we had that, I can't remember what the ratio was yeah. for beans to water. All right. It's but like, like half a bag, a um, quarter of a bag, three bags. Maybe like a, maybe half a bag. Okay. For like a pitcher. Yeah. Something cool. like that. I guess cool. you could play around with it too to see what you like. 
Um, yeah. So you do cold brew is your normal go-to. Like, do you drink cold brew cold or do you warm up cold brew? No, drink cold brew cold. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, you know, everybody has their has their different things. Um, so you drink you drink that cold. How do you, do you drink your cold coffee different than your hot coffee? Um, it depends. Yeah. If it's cold brew, since it's like less acidic for right. me, I can drink that black. But right. a lot of times, drip coffee. I want to add a little milk. Oh, I have some milk. Do you want some milk? Oh no, this is good. Okay, cool. Well, um, we, I, we, I can get milk. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's actually good. half and half. Uh, that's fine too. Um, I usually buy cream because it lasts longer, oh, and then we yeah. can use it in cooking. That yeah, that works. Um, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, most of the time, hot coffee, unless it's like pour over or like something fancy from like a good coffee shop, I can drink black. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And then. Um, do you make pour over at home or do you are you just cold brew all the time? Um, cold brew when it's like warmer. So like this weekend since it's gonna be like eighty today. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the winter we have a coffee maker, but it kind of simulates pour over. Yeah. Because it's got like a shower head, water system that like <laughs> sprinkles the water over the beans. Your coffee pot has a shower head. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So it's kind of like pour over, but with the ease of a machine. Yeah. When did you get into coffee? Has it just always been, has it always been there for you? <laughs> when did your relationship with coffee start? Um, <laughs> more so as an adult. Like I didn't really drink coffee in college or anything. I think once I started working. I thought you were going to say drinking. <laughs> <laughs> once I started drinking, boy, that's when I really needed coffee. <laughs> I think then, and then just as I got more into food, got more into beverages as well. Yeah. Yeah. I made it my entire submarine or my entire time on the submarine. I, I would, maybe with like three or four cups of coffee in the two and a half, three years that I was on the boat. And then I spent about two days in a cubicle and I was addicted, <laughs> addicted, like three, four five cups a day. Haven't looked back since. Yeah. I think that's probably when it started for me too, yeah. when I had to work in a cubicle. Yeah, what is it about cubicles? <laughs> it must just be like that office culture. Like everyone else has their cup of coffee, so maybe I should have a cup of coffee too. Yeah, if it was if it was cultural, then I think the submarine would have gotten me mm-hmm. because the submarine was very coffee coffee culture. So I mean, maybe maybe there's a cultural component, but I, did your did your cubicle have any windows? Did you have like any natural light, or were you in? No, we were like underground. Yeah. Right. S- similar. I was yeah. in a, I was in a skiff, <laughs> but you would think that being a submariner, like that wouldn't affect me that much. Right. But there's a difference between when you don't expect to see the sun for a long time and when you, when you could see yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so for whatever reason, the psychology of a cubicle crushed my soul and the psychology of a submarine did not, mm. which I find fascinating a little bit. It's, I think it sort of speaks to the power of, of what humans can, can like wrap their heads around or prepare for psycho- mm-hmm. uh, psychologically, psychologically, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you expect a workout to be really tough, you can do it right. and you can get through it and you can rise to the challenge. But if you show up and you're like, ah, this is going to be a cakewalk. Or if you show up to the gym, for example, let's just say you're walking down the street and I pull you off the street and you had no, no preparation for a workout I'm like do a workout you're like whoa that sucked so bad I can't Mm -hmm. believe I had to just do that workout 
right? right. Or in the middle of it, you're going to be like, I can't do this, and it's going to totally defeat you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like the same way if you picked me up right now and you plot me on a submarine, I would hate it. <laughs> but with enough preparation and time and anticipation right. and, you know, you can do it. Right. You like psych yourself up for it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, cube life. <laughs> <laughs> Cube life broke me. It broke me. It got me addicted to coffee. And I uh, I did not like cube life. It sounds like you didn't really enjoy it either. Not really. Um, I was, yeah, in a cubicle, well, I guess for a while, four or five years. What would you do in the cube? Um, a couple things. So my first job in D.C. was working at a hotel, um, the Gaylord National over in National Harbor. Oh, cool. Um before I started working there before it opened yeah. um, and then through the opening and for a couple of years. So I had a couple jobs there in the sales office. Um, and that's when I really decided I don't like sales. Got it. <laughs> what does what a, what a hotel do for sales? Is it like conference room stuff? And- yeah. So that hotel has a whole convention center attached oh, to it. So okay. the primary focus for the sales team was bringing in the meetings and right. conferences and stuff like that. And you didn't, what, what about sales did you not like? Um, I think it was more so like some some of the salespeople just rubbed me the wrong way. Like yeah. it was a set, like obviously they have numbers to make and they have goals to hit and expectations and pressure put on them. But like right. some of them just didn't <coughs> treat everyone very nicely because they were yeah. like so focused on hitting those goals. Right. And in a couple of the roles I was in, I was. I wasn't working just for one or two of the salespeople. I was working for all of them. So it's like when one salesperson is trying to like make me make them a priority over everyone else, like right. I can't do that because I'm working for all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's you know, like running the gym and doing the doing the gym thing, eventually I had to confront the concept of sales. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I always felt like a little shady about. I don't know, like I felt Dirty, I guess is the better word. Like at that point where I have to ask for your money. Right. But then, like the more I started thinking about, it, I read a few books and listened to some podcasts. And this doesn't isn't directly applicable to your situation, but the more my experience with sales is like, like I went back and I thought about all of my positive sales experience. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I wanted to buy this car and I bought it. And right. It was great. And I wanted to buy this ticket to an amusement park and they gave mm-hmm. it to me and I had a blast. And so the vast majority of sales are just trying to figure out, is this what you want? And then here's, here's the way you get it. Right. Yeah. And then I thought about my negative sales experiences and that's when I felt like I was being duped. I was mm-hmm. being lied to. I was being cheated. I was being swindled. Right. <laughs> and then like, I think the negative always stands out in your mind more significantly than the positive. And so when when I would think of sales, it would be all of the negative experiences. And I had to really dig deep to think about the positive experiences. Right. And so I think that like once I started to realize that sales are are literally just creating a thank you, thank you transaction. And then my process of convincing you of the sale is the exact same as convincing you that it's not the sale too, right? Mm -hmm. Like a sale is about, in my opinion, a sale is about leading somebody to a decision that's best for them. Right. And so all I do is communicate what the gym is and what we do. And if you're like, nah, I don't want that or I don't want to do that, 
that's great. Right. Now, next. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not like that, but, you know, uh, but if it is for you, then great. Here's, yeah. how, here's how to do it. Yeah, and I think I've come to that kind of same conclusion as well because with the wedding coordination I do, anytime I meet with a new couple, a potential new couple for our initial consult, it's essentially a sales pitch, but, and in my mind, I never could see myself as being a salesperson, but I guess I frame it in my mind like I'm just going to meet these people, learn more about them, see if we get along great, and then tell them about how I can help them with their wedding, and then if it's for them, awesome. If not, if they want something more or they don't like me or whatever, like, cool, we're not going to work together, and that's cool. But it's just kind of like the frame of mind, but then also like, I guess I'm more interested in like the wedding coordination than what I was doing at the hotel. Yeah. And so like I'm more excited to talk to them about like their wedding and how I can help and like here's what other people have done in the past and. Well, it sounds like it's more, it's a more sincere thing. Yeah. Right. And you know, obviously in the gym, I'm selling something very sincere like this is like, you may not agree with it. But I believe it to be true, right? Mm-hmm. Like you may disagree with what I believe, but I certainly believe it. And and you can't dispute the fact that I believe that this right. works. And I think it's that authenticity, you know, like I'm, I'm sure you've met couples where your brand of wedding planning and you it just doesn't work. Right. And you're like, look, I'll plan your wedding, <laughs> but you should check out some other people first. Right. I'm not sure you'll like what I do. Right. Or like... <laughs> they need more services than we offer. Yeah. So then it's it's mutually beneficial for neither of us to work together, for us to not work together. Exactly. <laughs> and and thank goodness you had that meeting right. before money was exchanged, right. right? Because then it's like, oh, well, you're either going to let someone down or you're going to have to give them the money back or, you know, like it's, right. it's never going to end well. Right. And I think the more significant the transaction, the more important it is to date before you marry, so to speak. Right. Well, and especially in that situation, like weddings are such high emotion days and usually one of the most important and memorable memorable days of people's lives. So it's an important role. For sure. You want to make sure you're the right fit. Yeah. Yeah. Which could be said about most things. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's really interesting to me how, um, you know, how certain experiences can like can can shift you in a certain way but then life brings you back to that like you know when you're at the at the the hotel like oh, I don't like sales but really you just didn't like a few jerks who right. were dis disappropriately motivated <laughs> <laughs> what um right and funny enough I'm now working for one of the people at the hotel really Yes. Oh, my fourth the... my fourth part time job. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, yeah. So let's 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 back up. Let's get back to the cubicle because we're we're a little little all over the place, which is great. Um, so you were working in the, in the cubicle for the hotel, and you mm-hmm. weren't like super jazzed about it. And so that was how many years ago when you left that? Um, I left that in 2011. So, so from like 2007 to 2011, I was in the cubicle. Well. At the hotel yeah. in various different positions. So seven years, you leave a cube life, and then seven years later, you have four <laughs> part-time jobs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Go. How'd that happen? <laughs> what? 
<laughs> I mean, what was the prime? What was the primary motivation for leaving the leaving the the hotel initially? Was it just you didn't like it and you wanted to move? Um, I so moving down here, I was interested in getting into meeting planning, event coordination, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, so the hotel seemed like a good in because I was there like through the opening of the hotel. Um, since there's a convention center attached, they have a big conference services right. department. Um, so my goal was to move over to that department um, and work there, which did not end up happening. Um, so then I was reevaluating what I wanted to do. Um, my background's in health and exercise science. Um, so I decided to go back to grad school. Um, so part of the reason I left I worked at the continued to work at the hotel through my first year of grad school um, because my schedule allowed. But the second year was primarily internships, so I couldn't do both. Got um, it. So that was part of the reason for leaving when I did, but I was going to leave anyway. Yeah. Um, so I went back to school for clinical exercise physiology. Okay. Um, which essentially sets you up to work in cardiac rehab, pulmonary rehab, you know, diabetes clinics, stuff like that, Um, but from, like, an exercise perspective. Yeah, okay. Um, And um, after graduating and doing all the internships where I was in, like, spent time in a cardiac rehab facility, in pulmonary rehab, in a couple different programs, and then realized that this is all pretty monotonous. Like, I, like, loved the interaction with the patients um, and getting to know them and working with them, but essentially day in day out you're doing the exact same thing right um so it just got it was really monotonous even though i was only in you know each of those internships for a couple months Mm. um and then it's like do i really want to do this for the rest of my life now that i've gone to grad school and spent all this money (laughs) yeah um but ended up at a uh like corporate wellness company Mm. um And so there I was, when I first started, I was planning biometric screenings. Um, So like organizations usually around open enrollment will have these wellness screenings um, that (coughs) if their employees attend it and get screened, they can get, you know, incentives, um, like reductions in their health health insurance premiums, Mm. stuff like that. Um, And so it seemed like a good fit because it tied in like my educational background and then like the kind of event coordination essentially yeah, yeah. um but then they also had a de- had a department in the company that would create um like the corporate wellness programs for companies oh. so like the entire program like based on so like after the screening you get all the data from your employees to see okay maybe 50% of your employees are at risk for diabetes and like 75% of your employees have high blood pressure or like whatever that may be. Right. And then you create programs tailored towards those chronic conditions that can help improve their health. Mm. Um, so I was interested in getting into that area, yeah. but then that didn't pan out. Um, so I found another job um, at a digital health company based in Vegas. Um, so I was working from home and we were, I was evaluating health apps, um, from a behavioral, uh, health standpoint. So, 
you know, there's hundreds of hundreds of thousands of health like apps My out Fitness there. Pal, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. yeah, those kinds of apps. Um, looking at them from the standpoint of if I'm overweight or if I'm trying to start exercising for the first time, is this app going to help me reach my goal um, or help me change my behavior? What was the best app you uh, you, you discovered? Um, I don't know. It was hard because, like, there wasn't – I don't remember there being, like, one app that had everything. Hmm. Like, there were a lot of apps that were good that would, you know, give you prompts and, you know – give you rewards or badges or like stuff like that to help like positive reinforcement stuff like that it had all the tracking features but then it was like the interface wasn't good or like so we were kind of looking at all those things like from the consumer standpoint like is it user friendly is it going to help me change my behavior is it especially when it got into like the chronic condition categories like is it scientifically accurate um so kind of looking at it from all angles yeah um, and we had developed like a rigorous like evaluation for it, and we'd put apps through those evaluations, um, and then recommend them to clients. So like organizations that have like a employee portal or insurance companies that have like a patient portal, right. um, we'd recommend you know whatever apps to be available for yeah. their consumers. Interesting. Um, but that didn't quite pan out either. <laughs> the company seemed to be kind of going downhill. Yeah. They are kind of acting like jerks. So I decided that my time with them was done. <laughs> <laughs> On to the next one. Yes. Um, but at this point, you're still working like one job at a time. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so at what point did you start to realize that – or? Uh, maybe you didn't realize like was the realization that you just didn't like that corporate type work and that you just wanted to follow more passion work and less I don't know I don't know what the other word is corporate work yeah I think those the last two places I worked at the corporate wellness company and then the digital health one they were both relatively small companies um kind of they both claim to be startups, but they were also like already a few years old. So I don't know if you could still claim to be a startup when you're yeah. a few years old. Um, but I think they weren't run very well. And there were, um, you know, quite a few of us that would try to propose ideas and like how things could run better and like make suggestions. And we just weren't listened to. Yeah. Um, so I think that really turned me off. Like if I... Like, I didn't feel like I was being valued there. So yeah. then what's the point of, like, putting in all this effort and doing all this work if you could care less if I'm even there? Right, totally. Um, so I think that got me thinking, like, why am I wasting my time on mm. these people and these companies um, that don't seem to care? Like, they feel like I could be easily replaced. So yeah. let's let them just replace me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a large reason why I left the Navy. I mean, I, I felt like... To to the boat, I was important, and to a few humans, I mm-hmm. was important. But you know, you leave the boat, another Jo shows up. Right. You know, like that. That's that's the nature of the military. Like mm-hmm. next man up. I mean, by design, <laughs> you are a cog in the wheel, right? right. Like you kind of have to be. 
and it's good to it's good to experience that and a lot of people thrive you know the world like the wheels need cogs right mm-hmm. the world needs that type of person and thank god for that but also thank you for it not being me right right cuz it like it just doesn't fit i think with some personalities it's like you I don't know. You want a little more creativity. You want to be able to express yourself. You want to, I don't know, implement your ideas. Mm-hmm. But some people are like, nah, I'm good with originality. Just right. Like it's written here. I can, I can do this all day long. Like I can follow this procedure. Right. And I will never make a mistake because it's written down. And they, they really like that. And that's cool. Mm-hmm. So the world needs procedure followers. <laughs> right. So then, so then it was sort of that, that concept that led you to start to look for businesses that would more value your specific talents. Yeah. And I think, well, I guess while I was still at my last full-time job, I started doing wedding coordination. Because um, after my wedding in 2015... Um, I was kind of missing like the whole wedding planning stuff. Um, and we had hired a day of coordinator to help with our wedding. Um, so I stayed in touch with her, um, and was talking to her about it. Um, and she was looking to grow her team. Um, so it was kind of a perfect timing kind of thing where I kind of fell into it. Um, but it was a good like outlet for me since I wasn't liking my full-time job it was nice to have something on the side that I did enjoy yeah um, yeah so a little passion project yeah uh and what's what's the name of the company capital romance capital romance based in DC that's right um if you have any wedding you're you're more of a day of and yeah. venue kind of coordinator type coordinator yeah so day of so we um will help with your planning process, but we won't do the planning for you. Right. Um, so, not, so different from a full-scale wedding planner, um, but we can help guide you and offer you know vendor recommendations and stuff like that along the right. way. Um, and then we're more involved in like the last couple months leading up to the wedding and then on the wedding day. And Capital Romance? Yep. That's pretty sweet. Capital this romance. podcast is brought to you by <laughs> Capital Romance. Capital Romance... Dot com. Yes, it is. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Capital cool. spelled with an O, not an A. Oh, yeah. That's right. Okay. That's that's important. Yeah. People are going, where the hell's Capital Romance? Right. Um, so then so then you, you were sort of balancing both and you started to work in, you know, in your passion field. Mm-hmm. And then how did that change, you know, how did that change your perception of work or did it? Um, I get, it got me thinking more about finding jobs that I was passionate about yeah. and that I enjoyed, or at least in fields that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, I think the that last company just really wore me down. Yeah. Um, and so, um, like, you guys gave me the opportunity to start coaching or to even, like, think about start coaching. Right. Because... Um, all my time in school, like, with health and exercise science, like, I never really thought I would be, like, a personal trainer or, like, working, you know, full-time in a gym or anything like that. Right. Um, but I think having done CrossFit for a couple of years and seeing, like, that environment and then 
thinking more about coaching. Yeah. Um, it was more, I guess, what I was looking for. Yeah. Because um, we're not we're not dealing with like the elite athletes. It's just everyday people and people that are looking to improve their health. And I think that aligns more with like what I had wanted to get out of you know cardiac rehab or one of those fields versus yeah. like trying to train like the next NBA superstar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's, I, I think I forget what book it was. Um, it might've been the, the talent yeah. code. Have you heard of the talent code? Sounds familiar. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good book. It's about the process of learning basically. And the whole premise of this book is that the way we learn mm-hmm. is by connecting neurological pathways. You know, if you, if you want to learn a golf swing, you need to take it from like six different movements of your arms and hips and legs and make that one complete movement. Well, the process of doing that is, you know, your body's wrapping these, read the book, myelin, <laughs> something about myelin, something about the brain. And it basically mm-hmm. makes a bunch of different mental connections into literally one mental connection. And uh, why was I talking about that? <laughs> talent code anyway the book book's really good read the talent code man what is going on not enough coffee today um yeah man anyway so uh i almost want to pause it and like go back and listen to what we were talking about um so you can edit this part out no see i'm not i'm not going to edit anything people are going to have to struggle along with us they're going to be sitting there like how did he lose track what what an idiot like, who is this guy? But this is like a real conversation. True. I'm not going to... I don't edit. <laughs> Come on. If I if I edit, then people are going to start thinking that I edit. Like, if I, if I do something that, that sounds smart or sounds brilliant, then people are going to be like, ah, he edited that brilliant part in there. <laughs> I want people to see me in all my, all my ignorant glory, but also all of my glory glory. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, learning learning new things. So we were kind of talking. Oh yeah, boom! Back on it. <laughs> so the talent code was talking about how it's really important to uh, to have different levels of teachers, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's the the Tiger Woods golf coach, and then there's the golf coach for four year olds, and right. both are vital, and both connect to people in fundamentally different ways. And so, personally, I'm in the I'm in the same boat as you, like. I have no interest in being a Matt Frazier coach. Like, mm-hmm. Sure. If Matt Frazier came and was like, here's a million dollars, coach me. It's like, right. sure, I'll be your coach. I'll take your million dollars, but you probably won't win the CrossFit <laughs> Games. <laughs> I mean, I can make you a better swimmer. <laughs> Hear that, Matt? Uh, but that's about... That's Which about, could come in handy at the Games. You right? never know. It could. It very much could. But I... But, but then again, you know, I don't necessarily know. I mean, Ben, ben Bergeron's a pretty phenomenal coach, so he could probably, you know, coach our people pretty right. well too. But <laughs> let's just say that he sucked at that. <laughs> but it, like, we we make a connection with with a certain type of person, and that that connection really works. And we can, you know, we exist for for a specific reason, right? Mm-hmm. And going back to the sales thing, like when people come into the gym and their aspirations are to compete in CrossFit in a serious and high level. And like, okay, I mean, again, I'll take your money, but please check out at least two other gyms, right. you know, like go somewhere else just to make sure that we're the best fit for you. Cause I'm not a hundred percent sure we're going to be right. And I think that's, uh, I think, I think that's important to kind of know, to know who you are, but almost as a way of knowing who you aren't. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know because yeah, anyway, 
So you you liked you liked the brand of CrossFit that we do, and you thought that that's the type of brand that you could coach under, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah, and I think since I had been part of the community already for a couple of years and knew the people and the types of people that we were attracting and that we had in the gym, um, it felt like it would be a good fit. Yeah. What what started you with the, the CrossFit journey from the beginning? Um, I had always been involved in sports growing up, yeah. um, always pretty active. Um, and after college, when CrossFit started uh, getting bigger, I had heard about it. And, like, I'd always also been, in, like, done some weightlifting on my own, but just, like, you know, at a Globo gym. And, yeah. Um, my only, like, real experience with it was... Um, from college, like learning some of the different lifts, um, and was always interested in trying CrossFit, but it was always so expensive. Mm. Um, and so it was always like on my radar. Um, it was just a matter of like finding money and like having an opportunity to try it and do it. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. And so you started coach with us. And I think shortly after that, we, um, we made you our admin, Yep. Person, you're talking yep. like for people who don't know, this is a big deal. <laughs> you're talking to admin at Old City CrossFit right here, right now. Yeah. So if you decide to send a mean email, I'm gonna get it. That's right, and that's rude. <laughs> <laughs> send nice emails, people. <laughs> most, I mean, most everybody sends like you know, yeah. I'd, I'd say like 99 percent of our communication with with humans is is, is nice is and reasonable. Nice. Yeah. It's that one percent, right? <laughs> <laughs> that one percent. Yeah, no. So, um, so you, so you're doing the admin stuff. You're doing the the wedding planning stuff, and then the third job is probably, I think, the coolest job you have. <laughs> yeah. So by this point, I have left the. Uh, well, I was at this point. I was seriously considering leaving the full time job, um, and. I am a big craft beer enthusiast and a frequent was a frequent shopper at the craft beer cellar, which conveniently is across the street from my apartment. <laughs> um, and they posted an opening for part-time or full-time people, so I decided to apply. That's awesome. Um, so once I found out that I was hired there, got the job offer there, then I quit the full-time job because I felt like the three... Part-time jobs would, um, one, were more interesting and things that I enjoyed doing, um, but then also, like, would be enough income to cover what I was leaving behind. Yeah. Um, So, um, I have a question that, so, I guess the best way to frame the question is just to, like, the brief history of, of my education. So, you know, high school did that, Naval Academy did that. Um, then I got this nuclear education through the submarine community, got, you know, engineer certified in the nuclear Navy, left that, mm-hmm. had a good job in the government because of all that education, left that, <laughs> started a gym. Right. Which is where, you know, like where all I needed was the CrossFit 01 and no education yeah. at all. So, um, part of me thinks about all of that education, like, did I waste my time? And that's something that, that I have debated you know, a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I've come to the conclusion that on paper, no, I, I didn't need it. 
but certainly I wouldn't have been the human that that education made me, mm-hmm. which is the human who's capable of, you know, running what I hope to be and what you guys agree is <laughs> a good gym in DC, right? You mm-hmm. know, and so I think it's sort of like the education is sort of a means to self development. And it's almost, I don't want to say it's meaningless, but largely for what I'm doing now, it was. Yeah. So how do you feel with like your educational path to where you ended up? Yeah, I think similar to you, like on paper, it seems like a waste of time and money, although maybe not as much since I am coaching in the gym. So some of my background is applicable. Um, it's just a little rusty and in the caverns yeah. of my brain. So Your I need education to... <laughs> wasn't as wasted as mine. Um, <laughs> but like you said, I think it. if I had studied something else, you know, in, in undergrad or not gone back to grad school, um, I could very well be doing something completely different. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah, I was a computer science major, and I when when we started the gym, I, w- I was I literally had no idea how to make a website appear <laughs> in the world. Like I know I had no idea, mm-hmm. like no clue. And uh, I mean, I can hide behind the fact that I was a computer science major in two thousand four, which is <laughs> basically before the internet. Right. <laughs> um, it's like two thousand four. Like we we had those big monitors yeah. you know the ones that were like really deep mm-hmm. yeah AIM was a huge thing mm-hmm. Facebook existed but you didn't know but about barely. it but barely yeah <laughs> yep yeah I remember joining Facebook when you had to have a dot .edu, .edu address in yeah. order to join yeah I, w- I was not there so <laughs> I, I, th- I think I was like 2007 on Facebook mm. yeah I think it was my senior year of college that it, that I could join. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. So, um, so you, you don't necessarily feel like it was a waste. Not completely. Um, but a little, probably a little, (laughs) Um, would you, would you do it over again if you could? Like, would you, um, would you study something different? Would you not go to school? I think that's the thing. Like, I don't know what I would have studied instead. Um, Like going into college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do as a career afterwards. Yeah. Um, But I knew, like I was pretty good at science and math. I was interested in science. And then having always played sports growing up, I felt like something sports related would be where I would end up. Right. Um, So the hell of an exercise science program that I did was like a good baseline um I think because we had there were people I went to school with some went on to become athletic trainers some went to PT school some ended up going to med school so it was like just a good baseline for like anything yeah yeah. um and so I felt like from there like once I did that then I could maybe figure out like okay I've got this background now like where do I want to focus right um and it kind of worked out like that yeah (laughs) I guess I um and then also in college I was involved with the women's basketball team so I saw like the sports management side of Mm -hmm. it too um and was interested 
did that for a couple years. Yeah. Um, I've kind of been all over the place. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm genuinely fascinated by people with um, non-traditional jobs because it's, um, I mean, it's where I've been for the last five years or so. And mm-hmm. it's been awesome for me personally. It's also been extremely stressful and terrible <laughs> in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways it's been really great. And, you know, I think there's so many people who get stuck in a cubicle and they think that that's the only way, right? Mm-hmm. Like success, the path towards success is getting a nicer and nicer cubicle. And I, I just don't think enough people hear stories of wildly successful people, maybe not wildly successful, let's, let's tamp, tamp down our, <laughs> our success, moderately successful people who've broken out of that that cube life and mm-hmm. are living I mean it's 1032 we're drinking coffee talking on a podcast that 10 people are going to listen to right. it's it's an awesome And we life. both agree this is the only thing we have to do today. That's right. That's right. I was looking at my schedule. I don't have to coach later. I don't have any one-on-ones <laughs> planned. I can't paint the walls uh, the stripes on the walls because we're doing wall balls tomorrow or today. I don't even know. So this is this is great. You know, but with this comes, you know, working until 845 some nights and with this comes, you know, weekends and with this comes, you know, not as much money. (laughs) Right. And I think that's that was one thing that was holding me back for a while. Um, I think just trying to figure out, like, if I because it was, you know, a corporate job with benefits, really good pay. I could work from home. Um, I since I was doing the wedding stuff, I negotiated that I had a four-day work week because of wedding stuff, yeah. you know, sometimes happening on Fridays. Um, I had a pretty sweet gig. Yeah. And it was hard to leave thinking about from, like, the financial perspective, like, how can I, like, can I find other work that I'll get compensated for that won't, like, change my quality of life or like the things that I want to do. Um, so part of that, it's helpful that I have a husband who has (laughs) a good paying job. Um, so luckily I had that kind of second income from him. Um, so we wouldn't, you know, have trouble paying rent or bills or like that kind of thing. Um, but also like, obviously I don't want him to be the only person bringing in money and like I wanted to like do my part um so it was kind of stressful and that's probably what stopped me from leaving sooner um but once I got the opportunity like at the beer store and like kind of crunched some numbers I was like okay with these three jobs um I think we can make it work it's not going to drastically affect our lifestyle and how we like to live yeah um and so I took the plunge that's cool were you were you nervous or did you just I mean was it just one of those things where you know the writing was on the wall with the work that you were doing and it it was just like the next logical step or was it did you feel like you were taking a leap um I think initially when I first like really seriously started considering it it was a little more nerve-wracking and more like taking a leap like what am I doing like why am I leaving a somewhat stable job right and like all the perks that I have um but then <coughs> once I got the job 
and like and told the company that like I was going to be leaving it was kind of like a weight was lifted off my shoulders like yeah. it feels right like we'll see how this goes and if it ends up like not working out then I'll try and find another full-time job right yeah I think I think from my perspective at least it was the process of being 100% okay with the worst case scenario mm-hmm. and then like not really believing, like truly not believing that the worst case scenario could ever possibly happen. First, first, super important. I'm okay if it does, right? right. Like I'm not like, I'm not betting whatever. I don't have kids. I didn't have kids at the time, but I'm not, right. you know, <clears throat> endangering my kid's life by making this right. decision and now we're homeless, right? Right. So it's nothing that extreme, but figuring out what the worst case scenario is and being 100% okay with that, but then like having rational confidence, not irrational confidence, but having the rational confidence that that worst case scenario is very unlikely to ever happen. Yeah. And when I took the leap, it didn't feel like a leap at all. It mm-hmm. felt like, man, this is going to be, it's a strong move to be sure. Right. But like, I know, I know I'm at least stepping on something that looks like a rock, right? It may mm-hmm. sink a little bit. I might get my shoes wet, but I don't think I'm going to drown. Right. You know, and I think I I get some people sometimes who ask me, you know, like, I have this opportunity, you know, should I take it? Like, well, do you, like, what do you, what do you want to do? You know, does it, does it feel super risky? They're like, yeah, it's super risky. Probably don't take it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, probably not. That probably sounds silly. I think people get this idea that, you know, entrepreneurs or people who, you know, work in, work in different um, non-traditional fields who are more passion focused that it's just like caution to the wind screw everything we're just gonna live our life freely right. <laughs> not exactly right you know <clears throat> not, not there have totally. been some meltdowns along the way and <laughs> for sure and <clears throat> but like you said like I knew going into it like we had to make some sacrifices like at the time we were still trying to we were looking to buy a house. Yeah. So, like, obviously leaving a full-time stable job and having three part-time jobs doesn't look as good to the bank as uh, we would like. So, like, that's kind of taken a backseat. Right. But, like, I'd rather enjoy, like, how I'm spending the majority of my time right. um, than, like, have a house and be miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And still have a big mortgage payment. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you're uh, life-rich and apartment poor right how does that saying go what's house poor and whatever yeah i i completely agree i mean i if i if i would have stayed in the navy first off that would have been the best financial move Mm -hmm. no doubt about it but then i would have been moving every few years and the likelihood of you know finding and keeping a wife (laughs) (laughs) while that's your life is challenging to say the least right and then, I mean, then that's your, that's your, that's your plight. And that wasn't something ultimately the reason. So I, I did this, I did this. I'm a big, ever since the, the swimming days, I'm a big visualizer. Like I would mm-hmm. visualize my races to the point where like, I would feel the pain that I w- like knew was coming. And I knew like, I would like feel it. And so I was on the fence about getting out of the Navy or staying in. And I just visualized myself. I just put myself in this meditative <laughs> trance. No. 
I literally just closed my eyes and thought about it. <laughs> I thought about what it would be like to walk back onto a pier and then walk towards the submarine, cross the brow of the submarine, salute the flag, go down the ladder, and meet the department that I was going to lead. Because mm-hmm. I'd go back as a department head a weapons officer, navigator, no chance they would have made me an engineer. (laughs) (laughs) And every step of that process made me more and more unhappy. Mm -hmm. It's like I was walking away from happiness, walking towards prison. It felt like (laughs) literally that's what it felt like. And it's like, it's like, oh man, getting out of my car. It's like, all right, here we go. Mm -hmm. Like walking down the pier, like I could feel my heartbeat starting a little more walking across the brow, like saluting the flag, seeing some people who are on the boat who know each other, but I don't know. They're like judging everything about me, walking down the ladder each step, going in, meeting the captain, crossing my fingers, hoping to the mighty Lord above (laughs) that the captain is going to be a nice guy because if he's not, I'm stuck. Right. And then meeting the XO and then meeting the other people and just being plopped in this environment that you have no control over in a in a job that I wasn't anywhere close to being super passionate about mm-hmm. right like the only thing I was passionate about on the submarine were the people that I was with and I think that's a common thing in military it's like I don't like a lot of soldiers like you read books about soldiers and they're not they're not trying to win the war for America they're just trying mm-hmm. to get out alive and like right. protect their buddy next to them and sure maybe in the global context of what it means to be a, a soldier they're they're fighting for you know something that they truly believe in I'm not saying mm-hmm. that soldiers don't fight for what they believe in by any stretch of the imagination what I am saying is that in that moment you're fighting for the person right. next to you and I think that's what I connected most with in the sub life and I just visualized that experience of going back to the boat and I like I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't put myself in a position where like I wasn't super excited to be in. Mm-hmm. So I left I left something that I mean that I mean that's a career, you know, that's right. that's a promising, you know, career. Mm-hmm. I left that to move my life in a better mm-hmm. direction. And in the process, I didn't move it to a perfect place. I just moved it to a better place. Right. Right. Nav C was better than the submarine. Barely. <laughs> barely. But still had a lot wrong. And then I moved again. And then again. And again. And like you're just constantly tacking until you're on the right course. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of how I made moves from one job to the other. It's like, okay, I liked these aspects of my job, but I don't like this part. So like when I find a new job, I want more of this and less of this. Um, and it was just, just pivoting along the way until finding something that was a good fit, which has turned out to be multiple part-time jobs. (laughs) Right. But they're most, and that's, what's really cool. Like that's, that's probably the coolest part about not, not the coolest part about who you, <laughs> the coolest part about who you are as a person is the fact that you work four jobs. No, but like one one really interesting thing about where you've put your life. You know, your life is really like from what I know about you, you're passionate about food and cooking and you know beer and coffee and drinks and like you're really passionate about this. You're passionate about fitness and, and health. You're passionate about you know weddings and planning and like like because capital romance is is kind of like a. A quirky little, you know, I mean, I would say non-traditional 
Yeah, yeah, we definitely, most of the clients we, or most of the couples we work for tend to have, like, non-traditional elements of their wedding. Yeah. Um, very, like, personalized, like, nothing you would typically see in, like, the bride magazines and stuff like that. Right. Um, so it definitely fits my personality and, like, the type of wedding that I had myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Almost spilled the coffee. So it's definitely, like, a nice creative outlet, but then also, like, taps into, like, the event planning stuff that I like to do. Right. Um, And so you've been able to sort of curate a life of employment around some pretty big life passions. Mm -hmm. I think that's really cool. I think that's – it's interesting how how you kind of pieced it together and how you got to that point. As I finished our pot of coffee. <laughs> Thanks, David. Without spilling. Yeah, it was dangerous. Mostly. <laughs> I don't understand this cap because, like, it's totally closed. And then, but the only way to get it to pour is to open it. But then when you open it, it doesn't pour very fast. And then by the time you get it, like, all the way open, it pops off. <laughs> anyway. Make coffee, Mr. Coffee. Yeah. Uh, passion. Passion. I think that's how do you like did you just stumble across what it was that you were passionate about or did you have to like be thoughtful about it you know did you have to think about it or were you just like yeah obviously (laughs) (laughs) um I guess there was some reflection just looking at like how how I spend most of my time um and like the types of people that we surround ourselves with like we my husband and I are both turns out super into beer along with cooking and food and stuff and you know if we look back at like time spent with friends a lot of it is at like sharing beer and beer tastings and stuff like that um going like when we go on trips it's usually like we'll hit up the local brewery or when we go on trips we're usually drunk (laughs) (laughs) not while we're driving that's right that's right (laughs) we are safe um but like yeah when we travel like our our travel destinations or just what we do when we get to those destinations typically revolve around food and drink. Right. Um, so it was, it wasn't too hard to figure out like, okay, these are things that I like in my everyday life. Like how can I make this a job? Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Cause I, I, it took me a while to realize what I was passionate about, you know, like I, I clearly, I have passions in life and there's like things that I glom onto that are like really, you know, like I was, I'm still in, but I'm not as much as I was. I was so into the big green egg <laughs> for like, I spent, I was most passionate about the big green egg when I couldn't have one. Cause I was in the Navy. I lived in an apartment that didn't have a place to mm-hmm. put it. And I wasn't about to run ventilation (laughs) out of my window. Thought about it. Um, But I was like, I spent the vast majority of my time super passionate about the Big Green Egg uh, without one. Did you want to become a competitive, like, barbecue-er? I was on the other end of the spectrum. (laughs) I was legitimately getting out of the Navy. I contacted Big Green Egg to see if they needed salespeople because <laughs> I was convinced I could crush. I sold I, – there were three people in my submarine who bought Big Green Eggs because the whole deployment I did, uh, I did a whole deployment. I knew I was going to get one. I didn't mm-hmm. have one. Yeah. But I talked so <laughs> passionately about the Big Green Egg that people 
texted me pictures or sent me an email or whatever, and they were like, look, Sean, I got one. <laughs> like One guy got one before I got one. <laughs> so I was sort of looking at it in the other way, you know, like, can I, can I sell, can I sell something that I truly believe in? Mm-hmm. Is there, is there even a market for that? Maybe, but I, they, they never really got back. <laughs> so that didn't work. <laughs> then I was really into, I was really into good eats, but I mm-hmm. was sort of, I started getting into good eats around like season six or season seven. So I think it was 11 or 12 seasons. And so it, it was kind of winding down by the time I got caught up and right. so that, you know, that was nice, but there's nothing you could really do in a life of good eats. Like I briefly looked at culinary school, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That wasn't for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I was just, then I started CrossFit and I was really passionate about CrossFit, but I was kind of unconsciously passionate about CrossFit, right? Mm-hmm. I was learning so much. I didn't think I was good at it. And obviously you have to be an expert at something if you want to start a business around it. Like obviously you have to be an expert if you want to do do work that's your passion so i just never connected the dots i always thought it'd be cool but Mm -hmm. it you know and back in 2008 2009 crossfit gyms were kind of hobbies for most people right wasn't quite like career stuff so i just Mm -hmm. even didn't even have the wherewithal that you could want to do that Mm -hmm. or that you could do that and that was an evolution for me for sure it's just interesting how how people discover what it is that they're passionate about you know that's what's that's yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I think part of it too is also realizing like so I I love to cook and I'm really into food and um have become friends with some chefs in the area um and have, you know, helped them out at some events and stuff and gotten a little bit of that experience and have thought about like, oh, maybe I would want to try working in a restaurant or something like that. But then when you think about it, like, restaurant life is tough. They yeah. don't get holidays off. They're usually working weekends. It's usually nights. And Justin has a regular 9-to-5 job, so if I did make that jump, then we would never really see each other. Right. And so it's kind of about, like, while following your passion, still trying to figure out, like, how it works with your life. Yeah. Because um, similarly, like, with the wedding stuff, like, I love doing the weddings and meeting um, working with, you know, the couples that I've had the chance to work with and people have asked me like, would you want to make that your full-time thing? I was like, well, the only way to do it is to take more weddings and then weddings are usually on the weekends and then I'd have no weekends to do stuff for myself or with Justin and, and that free time that we would normally have together is eaten up by the wedding. So it's, I think it's about following your passions and, but then like still trying to balance like what you really want out of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great point. And I, I, I would also throw another point out there. Um, like my experience was starting the gym, being so excited about it, then very quickly being so exhausted from <laughs> it. Like almost immediately it was like, Oh, like we were racing to get it open, but opening was like when it started, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, by that point I was exhausted. And I remember like a month or two into it, waking up and having to answer emails and write programming. And I just remember I was just like looking at my computer, questioning my entire existence. Like, mm-hmm. oh, did I just make the biggest mistake of my life? This is 
so much work and I don't want to do any of it. Mm-hmm. I just want to sit on my couch, <laughs> take a nap. So I took a nap. Then I woke up from the nap and I was like, all right, like work is going to be work. You know, there's mm-hmm. going to be aspects to every job that you don't want to do. Right. And there's, there's parts, there's parts of every job that suck. I mean, frankly, even if it's a job and your passion, the whole right. idea that if you, if you do something you love, you never have to work a day in your life. Yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Just absolute. Yep. Not true. You'll like a lot of days, right? but you'll also hate a lot of days. There's always going to be at least one task that you hate, right? but it has to get done. Yeah, and I think I think the difference, for me at least, has been the difference between being excited about the mission, being excited about the overall goal, being excited about what we've accomplished week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, mm-hmm. versus... My relative lack of excitement for similar missions in other jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And when I was working for the government, it was really hard to get fired up and excited for an entire year's worth of work that got <laughs> one manual updated. Right. <laughs> that was tough. Yeah. You know? And in the Navy, like, certainly I was, you know, connected to the mission of America and, you know, this and that. But... Even in the in the global military complex, like not in, not in like the conspiratorial negative <laughs> way, but just like even in that context, sure, what we did as a submarine was important and relevant, but I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I'm like I said, I'm glad other people are doing it, but <laughs> I'm also glad I'm not doing it anymore. You right. Know? Not because I didn't like it, not because I don't believe in it, but just because it wasn't for me. And I think. I, with the gym, it's a mission that I totally connect with, mm-hmm. right? Because I help create it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's and, – and so I look at the mission and then now it's like my work is going towards something that I truly believe in. So my work feels more meaningful. Right. Sort of the antithesis of what you were describing when you were unhappy in your work before. It's, mm-hmm. You felt like your work wasn't meaningful. Yeah. So I think passion – passion and meaning I think are, are connected if not the same. Mm-hmm. Does meaning create passion? Possibly. Or does passion create meaning? Did I just say the same thing twice? No, you said yeah, that. Okay. You said the reverse. Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. work? Like, why do we? I mean, do we just work for money? We're getting, we're getting deep. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, if let let's think about it this way: if you had all the money in the world, after you traveled and did all the things, I mean, mm-hmm. you'd have to do something with right. your time, right? What would you do? I think, yeah, I don't know. Admin at Old City Crossroads. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've, yeah, Justin and I have had this conversation. Like if we won Mega Millions mm-hmm. and or Powerball at the same time yeah. and had billions of dollars after we, like you said, bought the houses, helped our families out, did all the things. Helped your gym out. <laughs> um, what would we do? And like, yeah, I would get bored if I just sat around the house all day like, Swimming in money, right? Like Scrooge. Yeah, and I mean, you can you can buy all the beer in the world, but you can't drink it all at the same time, right? You know, like you try. Well, yeah, <laughs> but that's part of the that's part of the enjoying being a billionaire for a few months, right? Right. But infinite gluttony is, but yeah, just like you just gluttony. get boring, right? Yeah. So I feel like I would still want to work or volunteer, or 
do something still in the areas that I am passionate about. Right. So, I mean, ultimately life would look pretty similar. Right. You would just I would just, like, have a house. (laughs) Yeah, the way that you lived would be dissimilar. But But I think, like, day to day. Right. It'd be, like, maybe not four jobs, maybe, like, two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be working in, you'd be doing similar things, but maybe in just, you know, slightly different ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've thought about that a lot too. I would love to say that I would, you know, coach 15 hours a week and I I would definitely want to be connected with the gym. Mm -hmm. Billionaire Sean would definitely be connected with the gym. Uh, Honestly, what I would do, I'm going to throw this idea out there. I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is real, but this is, this is kind of what I want to say. I want I would I would like cap membership. Whoever's a member when I when I win the millionaire, that's it. And then we just make the gym amazing. Like everybody gets like everybody gets their own barbell, like gold plated everything, free membership for everybody, but only for people who are members before. And then then it's just like a big fun group of people who are awesome and I love hanging out with. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it. And then as people like as people leave and move and as life goes on and people then like spots open up, so it's like an exclusive. Yeah, but place. then, but then I don't know if I would want the people who would want to join the gym. It's like this free billionaire gym, mm. right? Like I only want to be around the people right. who enjoyed the gym when it was not billionaire gym, like hole in the wall <laughs> soft floor gym. You know, like even the people who are joining after we moved to A ten are kind of soft. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. I love you all. But it, I mean, I, I guess kind of miss the trampoline floor. Yeah, yeah, it's. Have you heard, uh, have you listened to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History? Mm-mm. So um, it's a great podcast. He does like five hours on historical events, and I love him. He's amazing. He did this one series on the Wrath of Khans, and he talks about, and this is, this is true for the Romans. This is true for basically like, this is the story of civilization, right? Mm-hmm. The, and it's even true for families and like, like small units, but it's the thing that makes someone great or a society great propels them to expansion. But then the expansion removes them further and further away of that catalyst that made them great. Mm-hmm. And so each generation is less great than the original generation that made greatness a possibility. Uh-huh. And so the example with the cons is that, you know, they were uh, step nomads and their toughness and their ability to survive and hunt and fight literally for survival is Mm -hmm. the thing that made them so amazing at conquering. And so the more and more they conquered, the more and more wealth they accumulated, the more wealth, the more gluttony, the more gluttony, the less they train, the less they train, the less, you know, the less, less, less. And eventually they're no longer, you know, they're mere shadows of the original con or the original Mongols. Right. Same with the centurions, you know, the Roman centurions, like as Rome expanded and expanded, you can't just take someone from, you know, outside of the Roman society and who was raised by a different society and just teach them how to be a centurion. No, it's it's the fact that you were raised in Roman society that made you that. It's all the intangibles Mm -hmm. uh, of, of that. And man, I lost my train of thought again. What is wrong with me today? Did I not sleep well enough last night? The community. That's right. Yeah. And so... The pre-billionaire gym community. Exactly. <laughs> right? And so the 
that same thing would start to happen if you know if I made a gym that was like the nicest, most amazing, most wonderful gym, but all the people who joined, like all the people who were there when it wasn't all that, who were there for the right reasons, now people are going to start joining for the wrong reasons. Right. So I'd have to cap it, and that would be it. Like, no more. <laughs> or have a rigorous interview process to become a member. Or open up 810. Like, I would I would have to... It's like the training ground? That would be the gym. <laughs> that would be the gym. That's what I would do. Yeah. I would have the faux gym. And then once you were a member of the faux gym for three years, you'd get into the secret society. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I'd have to say, because I am one of the few founding fathers left. Mm-hmm. There's only a handful of us. That's right. And I think... I feel like the community from the time that we joined then till now has not changed very much. Like, I feel like it's we've been able to maintain that same sense of community and kind of casualness within the gym. Yeah. Um, and it's it's carried on. Yeah. I, I think, think so it's too. just a matter of, like, we're attracting the right people. And like you said, when you do the one-on-ones or do your quote-unquote sales pitch it's about finding the right people that will fit in the community and vice versa too like they they need to decide if it's the right fit for them or not yeah yeah and that's and that actually is is one of the best thing like crossfit dc opening four months after we opened down the street was Mm -hmm. probably the best thing that had ever happened to us and i was scared out of my mind Mm -hmm. i was like oh no this is terrible like we don't know what we're doing. We're a brand new gym, and here, you know, here comes the great Cross at DC. Right. And I, I genuinely believe they're a great gym. Like I'm not. This isn't disparaging to them at all. I truly believe that they're a great gym. I mean, how can you not be, right? Right. Um, I mean, you can easily not be a great gym, but how can you not be a great gym and have you know two right multiple locations? locations. Right. And so they opened down the street, and at that time we were just trying to be everything to everybody. At the time we, we you know, we, we knew who we were, but we were pretending to be other people to, you know, make everyone happy. Mm-hmm. When they opened up, it was like, oh great, this is awesome. Now I'm just gonna be more me. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna create like a clear distinction between who we are and who they are. Not because who we are is inherently better. It's only better that it's 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 better for me in that it's a better expression of me, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's better for us in that it's a better expression of who we are. Right. It's not universally better. And so them opening allowed me to say, look, there's two different gyms. Mm-hmm. This is who we are. And I don't have to pretend to be anybody I'm not. And if you don't like who we are, right. please, please yeah. go to them, go mm-hmm. to them. Cause I know CrossFit works. And if, if, our CrossFit doesn't work. Maybe Almost theirs guarantee will. theirs will, right. And, you know, and vice versa is absolutely true. So mm-hmm. if you're at CrossFit DC and you're looking for a new gym, no, I'm just <laughs> kidding. No, seriously. We're only four short blocks away. That's right. No, but in, in all seriousness, it, like there's so many, there's so many people in this, in this world who aren't doing CrossFit who would benefit from CrossFit. So just join any gym and you're going to be better served. Mm-hmm. Um, I say this all the time. CrossFit literally will work for anyone. It doesn't have to work for everyone, but it, it will. Yeah, and I've told lots of people, like friends that aren't doing CrossFit but are interested or they're intimidated or they're scared to do it, um, you know, every CrossFit gym is different. They're going to have different personalities based on who's running it, the other people in the gym. But as long as they have 
good coaches there that will pay attention to what you're doing and make sure you're doing the movements right, it's going to be safe. And then it's just a matter of finding the right fit for you. Right. So, like, try out a couple gyms. See which one you feel most comfortable at. And then that's going to be the one that you'll probably be the most successful at. Yep. I say this uh, all the time as well. CrossFit gyms are like coffee shops. You know, you can get a latte anywhere, but for whatever reason, Maketo's a little different than Peregrine. It's a little different than Y-Down. Mm-hmm. It's a little different than Starbucks. And you just got to find the gym that you like. You right. got to find the, the coffee shop you like. You got to find the bar that you like, you know. Big Board, Haymaker, great places, but they're kind of different places. You know, mm-hmm. what's what speaks to you more? And, yeah, what community do you better, rep, like, uh, jive with? Mm-hmm. What coaches do you like working with what's your what's your motivational style what gym matches that you know what drives you what pushes you and then all these factors go in i mean the worst thing you can do is just not join a gym Mm -hmm. i mean that's literally the worst thing (laughs) (laughs) the worst thing you can do but i mean the accountability and everything that you get from it clearly i'm biased clearly we're biased but um but yeah i i would if if i was if i was a billionaire in all likelihood i would I would probably, like, I would definitely buy Row House. I would, uh, like, but I would want to be, I would, I'd, I'd probably still coach a few times mm-hmm. a week, once or twice a week. I'd take my helicopter from here <laughs> to the gym and land on top of the gym, obviously. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I don't know. I, don't, I also don't know if, like, when you become a billionaire, I would imagine that you start running in circles of people who have more power. And are just like bigger. So I don't yeah. know if like I don't know if there would if I would meet people <clears throat> as billionaire Sean who would allow me the ability to amplify my mission, make my mission bigger. Then I don't even know if I'd want to do that. Mm-hmm. If I could. It's impossible to say. Right. I don't We'll just I, have to win Mega Millions and then find and out. And find out and then see who's a liar. Who's <laughs> Yeah, because I mean I'm not I'm not I absolutely wouldn't do life the exact same way I'm doing life. But I don't necessarily know if life would get better. Right. <clears throat> yeah, so that's why I don't play the lottery. <laughs> I don't want to win it. <laughs> Take your money. <laughs> no, I... Yeah. And that's, a, that's an interesting thought. Where would you travel? Where would be, like... Do you have any bucket list travel places? Um... I would like to, well, high up on my list and Justin's list is Japan. Yeah. Haven't been to Japan. We've been, well, I've been to other parts of Asia. We did a trip to China a few years ago. That's cool. But Japan would be awesome. Yeah. And I haven't been to South America, so that would be cool. Nicaragua. I forget things. South or Central? Or is that Central America? I don't remember. <laughs> We're so bad at this. Um, I'll edit that part out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chile. I've been to Chile. Yeah, I'd like to go there. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. They have um, delicious wine. Mm-hmm. I met uh, I met the most beautiful man in the world, <laughs> Antonio. We were doing a wine tasting in this, like literally this cave type wine cellar. Uh-huh. And there was a big table and there was a group of us and he pours the wine and he's a very, very attractive human. And uh, he's, you know, like all the wine people, he's very, I don't know. He just knows, he knows, he knows his way around a, a glass of wine, I guess, yeah. is, the, is what I'm trying to say. And he goes, he goes, here we have whatever, whatever. And he goes, let us know. 
And he like looks around the room and he takes his wine and he sticks like he it's not just like a little Ray like sticks his nose his in the glass. His whole nose in the glass, like <laughs> so deep that it's like, holy cow. And he swirls it and he inhales this this burst of of wine aroma with the passion that I could only hope to accumulate through a lifetime of enjoying wine. And and then just like, I mean, we were talking about passion earlier, right? right. Like this guy was the embodiment of passion, which is why... For they, wine. Yeah. Like I, I mean, clearly like he was, he was structurally just a good looking human. Right. right? But I think one of the reasons why I connected like so, whatever, <laughs> he's a beautiful man. And I think part of the fact, like I think humans respond really well to passion, mm-hmm. right? Like I think passion is something, it's an exciting thing, right? Right. I think we want to follow passionate people. I think we want to live passionately. And I think when we see passionate people, it's easier for us to be more excited about what they're passionate about mm-hmm. than to try to figure out how to cultivate that same passion in another field. Right. And that can be used for good or evil, right? You know, like Hitler, <laughs> passionate dude. Right. Wrong About way. white people. <laughs> right. And that's it. <laughs> bad, bad, bad. But then, you know, then you get, you know, passionate people about beer and they open wine cellars and they, or, mm-hmm. you know, the beer cellar or whatever. And they create a community around that. You get mm-hmm. passionate restaurant owners who create, you know, people love passion. That's what I connected with Antonio more than his steely brown eyes and <laughs> amazingly beautiful skin. He goes, let us nose. And his whole existence was in that nose. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about things that I didn't smell, but apparently he did. Right. <laughs> and then you swirl it. Then we swirl it. And I, you know, by this point I'd done a few wine tastings and I knew, <laughs> I knew how to look the part, mm-hmm. but I'm 100% phony. Right. <laughs> and then he goes, let us mouth. <laughs> I lost it. I lost it. I started laughing so hard. And he like he ignored me like a like a consummate professional and then he, you know, does the mouth thing and the Yeah. Like gargles. He does the whole thing, right? Anyway, I'd want to I want to cultivate I'd want to live that existence, you know, mm-hmm. like I'd want to figure out what it is in life that I could wake up every day and like be, be Antonio passionate right. and do that. That's what I would do if I was a, a billionaire. I, I would just be in constant search for that. Um, I would also go back to Chile and try to find him. <laughs> <try and> <laughs> do a podcast. You could him. fly him in. Yeah. For private wine tastings. That That's what I would do. Honestly, I would, I would just learn and get good at so many things like before the spike ball tournament i would find the <laughs> world's best spike ball people mm-hmm. i would put them up in a house and, and just play spike ball we play day. spike ball all day every day until i got obnoxiously good at spike ball mm-hmm. uh, yeah that's and then i would like repeat with the next thing <laughs> and then the next thing badminton those Chinese are tough at badminton, though. Yeah. They're I, real good. I played badminton in Diego Garcia with my friend Andrew Townsend mm-hmm. in a uh, Navy base tournament. And uh, this team brought their own badminton mittens. Oh. Brackets. Oh. I was like, they wear mittens. No, I, I just don't know what to call it. <laughs> I know the thing's a birdie, the racket. right? Yeah. Yeah, they brought a racket, which was really interesting because um, the only way to get there is by ship. 
So I don't know if I don't know if they were just employees there and they flew <laughs> in. Oh, well, you can obviously fly in. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, they had their own rackets and they crushed us. Yeah, we used to have to play in middle school and maybe high school gym class. I was not good at badminton. You were a badmintoner. Yep. <laughs> Bad. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's cool. Passion. Mm-hmm. What else you got? Find it. Find it. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, find it. Find it. it. Look Pursue for it. it. Yeah. And I think the I think the I think it's it's about it's about continuously trying, right? Like exploring yeah. new things and just like just like the sales process, the sales process is about creating a yes or a no. I think that's the passion process too. Mm-hmm. It's about creating a yes or no. Do I like watercolors? Yes or no. With that, with that is you got to try something for long enough right. to get over the the newbie's hurdle, right? Yeah. Like you you can't say that you like or dislike CrossFit after two months. Mm-hmm. Maybe after three months. De- definitely after six months, you can be like, ah, this isn't for me. Depending on how often you come. Sure. Right. Yes. But yeah, thirty workouts. Mm-hmm. After 30 workouts, you can tell me, and I will accept it, that CrossFit isn't for you. 30 yeah. workouts in less than in less than three months. There we go. Lots of caveats here. <laughs> but also figuring out why you don't like it or what aspects you do like and what aspects you don't like so that in your next pursuit of exactly. something, you can do more of what you like and do less of what you didn't like. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, this is, this is a great, um, a great segue to my latest passion, uh, is jujitsu. So I joined Mm. a gym recently and I was like, the process of getting there was a huge evolution. I tried many, 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 many things. When I first started CrossFit, like CrossFit was the all consuming passion of my life, right? Like I could, like I woke up every single day. I couldn't read enough about it. I couldn't learn enough about it. I made up all the workouts. I was there all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I opened a gym and it was good, but you know, it, it just changed, right? Like the passion I had for performing CrossFit changed more into the passion I have for administering good CrossFit, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a slightly different tack, right? but it, it weakened the passion I have for actually doing CrossFit in the process. And so the past four or five years has been me looking for the next thing, mm-hmm. right? And I, I kept trying to force CrossFit to be a thing because I felt like if, I, if, if it wasn't, then I was being hip, hypocritical. I was being a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, well, I have to be the best at CrossFit. Right. Because I own the gym. Right. <laughs> and that's not, the, that's not the truth, right? Mm-hmm. I don't even have to be the best CrossFit coach. I need to work with the best CrossFit coaches. I need the best CrossFit coaches on my team. Right. But I need to be the best at creating the best CrossFit gym. Mm-hmm. That's what I need to be the best at. Right. I'm pretty good at that. Not not quite where I was, where I once was at CrossFit, but decent enough, I guess. And so I was, you know, forcing the CrossFit thing and it wasn't really working. I, I couldn't really create traction with it. And then I started looking at, you know, like other things without really dissecting what it was about CrossFit that I connected with and mm-hmm. looking for similar things. So I would try, I don't know, mosaics or I would try like, I don't know, reading more or like other things. It's like, right. but that wasn't what I connected with about CrossFit. Like the thing, once I started to become more conscious about it, the thing that I connected the most with CrossFit is that it was a physical activity. Like mm-hmm. I got to use my body. 
Right. It was a challenging activity. So I got to push my body. Mm-hmm. And it was an opportunity that offered literally limitless growth. Like there was no end to how far I could push my body, right? right? I tried I tried getting back into basketball, swimming, soccer. All these things were good, but it just wasn't like and it, it like CrossFit's very much an individual type thing. Like mm-hmm. I don't need twelve people to practice it, right. you know, which is nice. And and so I started thinking about looking for other things in that context of what it is that I really liked about CrossFit, what else is in that world of CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And I also listened to a lot of Joe Rogan and Jocko Willing podcasts and all they talk about is jiu-jitsu. So I was aware <laughs> of it. Yeah. And so then I started thinking about jiu-jitsu, not in the context of, oh, well, let me do something else to get fit. But it's like, okay, here's something where I'm going to use my body. Here's something that's infinitely, like, mm-hmm. a, there's an infinite amount of knowledge to acquire. Right. There's no end to this journey. Tons of different skills to learn. Exactly. And it's and it's extremely challenging day in and day out. So I'll be, I'll be challenged, I'll use my body, and there's no end to it. So that's mm-hmm. basically the same as CrossFit. And I started back in December, and I've been going four to five times per week ever since. And it's like, it's amazing how... Fixing one thing in your life puts everything else back in in perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking a lot less. Like I'm cooking a lot more. I'm a lot more motivated. I'm sleeping better. Mm-hmm. I'm like reading more sophisticated books. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's all the intangibles that fall into place right. when like when you fix one aspect of your life that's out of alignment. Mm-hmm. And for me, like I'm, a, I'm I've always been active. I've always been using my body. And I fall out of alignment with myself when I don't have that outlet for like physical aggression. <laughs> I mean, not like aggression, but you know, right. like physicality. Mm-hmm. And the irony is, I'm generally a lazy person. <laughs> like, I'm generally lazy. When I would mm-hmm. swim, it's like, oh, I don't want to do this. Right. It's so weird that the thing that I need most in my life is the thing that I'm less likely to do naturally without right. a ton of intentionality. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so counterintuitive with passion because it's not it's not always the thing that you always want to do. It's the thing you know you need to do. It's the thing that you're most happy having done, perhaps, mm-hmm. is a way to think about it. That's, I mean, but that's, that's how I found, like, that's how I refound passion, Mm -hmm. right? That's, and, and when, when I'm passionate in one area, like a rising, a rising tide lifts all boats, like no doubt about it for me personally. Yeah. And I think like for me, the switching from out of that full-time job where I was miserable and just like in a bad mood most of the time and frustrated and having meltdowns like every other day because I hated it and switching to other things that I enjoyed and were more passionate about just like my mental well-being was so much better Mm. like I said earlier like leaving when I made that phone call and said like basically putting in my two weeks notice after that like I felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders like there was just a change in my mental health probably Like, I just felt better. I was more excited about the things I was doing. Um, it changes your whole outlook on life. Like, I don't want to be so dramatic with this, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, with this sort of 
it's it's almost a theoretical concept because you know this conversation could mean one thing to somebody who's like on the edge of of taking a big risk and starting mm-hmm. a business and it could just you know mean somebody picks up water painting like it, right. it's so dramatically different for everybody but it is it literally changes your mindset on everything right mm-hmm. like what otherwise would have sent a like a a day into a bad day eh, whatever Right. Because you weren't so drained in all the other areas of your life. Right. You were emboldened. Yeah. And, like, just my, like, relationship with Justin is better. Like, he's not having to listen to me, like, vent and console me all the time and, right. like, tell me things are going to get better. Like, so I think it's, like, for you it's made, like, you found that physical, like, thing again and, like, have improved other areas of your life like for me same thing um just in different ways um and i think like we're not saying like go quit your job and find (laughs) find five part-time jobs to work but i think there's little ways you can figure out like what you are passionate about and like you said if it's a like picking up a new skill or just trying something new and taking little steps to figure out like what you like and what makes your life better and more enjoyable yeah yeah like what's what's i mean if if something is a struggle every day right that's probably not your thing now there are definitely days where i do not want to wake up and go to jujitsu definitely Mm -hmm. but there are rarely days after i've gone that i'm like ah this i shouldn't have gone right like i'm always I'm always, and it's just my personality. I just like, for whatever reason, I just resist things that are healthy for me. It's like, <laughs> oh, the salad. Oh, God. Every bite's misery. And then afterwards, I'm like, that salad was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same with CrossFit. It's like, ah, it's a struggle to get there. But at, when I'm there, after I'm done, it's like, hell yeah, that was awesome. Right. Jiu-jitsu, exact same. And I think when it starts to become, if the end isn't something that's satisfying then that's a hint that maybe you haven't found quite the thing that fires you up, that gets mm-hmm. you excited. But there, there is a learning curve with everything. Right. I mean, I tried surfing for three years when I lived in California, and I left California definitively stating, I don't like surfing. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't get it. Right. It's like, it's like skiing, but you got to hike up the mountain. <laughs> People do it. Right. I don't get it. It doesn't <laughs> make any sense it. to me. But you tried it. Yeah. And you just realized it wasn't for you. Yeah, you got to get past the learning curve of things, mm-hmm. right? If Because after everything has a point of just awkwardness where you don't, you don't get the game. Right. right. I was talking to somebody about um, 80%. Sean Chua. I was talking to Sean Chua about um, getting 80% competency makes you understand what it takes to get 100% competency. Mm-hmm. But it also so, – so now you see the arc of the sport. You know, you know now how deep the sport goes. Right. And you're pretty competent in the sport. And that's it. You can stop there. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I think accumulating 80% competency in something happens relatively quickly. Or it happens quickly relative to accumulating 100% competency. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's the point where things start to get fun for a lot of people and a lot of different things. That's where... You're not focused on the basics. You're focused on the strategy and the mechanics. And mm-hmm. the, you know, if all you're worried about in spike ball is hitting the ball with your hand, 
It's right. not fun. <laughs> but when you're worried about like scything someone out and like, you know, the strategy of it, then it gets right. really fun. Mm-hmm. So anyway, find your passion, find your passion, people try new things. Mm-hmm. Um, especially CrossFit. If you haven't tried CrossFit, <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you, you will be passionate about CrossFit. No, uh, but seriously, try new things, learn new skills, try new things. Um, what else? And don't be afraid of not liking it. That's it. That's right. Exactly. Because not liking it is your opportunity to find something you like later. Right. Boom. Be passionate, y'all. Do it.